Okay, um, happy topic, <laughs> right? Here's the problem, and I, I really love this about the GMHC stuff. When you put a talk together, they really they want you to apply some discipline. What, what, what issue are you trying to address in the talk? So we have a really big problem. Our culture, Western culture, American culture, the culture that we came up in, thinks that the worst thing that can happen to us is that we could suffer. Okay? The narrative of every cartoon you've watched since you could wake up and not wake up your parents, every romantic comedy, it always ends up good and happy. You avoid the bad things. If bad things happen to you, it's only part of the, the arc of the story to get you to the good things. All right? And the, there's truth in that. That's really the arc of the Bible. Okay? But what we're going to talk about today <coughs> excuse me, is the middle of the story that's very difficult. Okay? And so we have to deconstruct our own desire for pleasure and the avoidance of suffering and difficulty we have to deconstruct the pressures, the world, the water that we swim in in our culture. And we even have to deconstruct bad theology, which is sweeping the world, which is probably as successful and more successful than any other biblical teaching. It's not biblical, excuse me, any more Christian teaching in the world that says, right here and now is the time for you to be happy, for you to be in heaven now. All right, so let's do that all in 42 minutes or whatever we got. Okay, <clears throat> here are my points to, to, um, to give you a heads up on the front end. Suffering is normal. It's normative. It's, it has to happen. It's part of the world that we live in. You won't disagree with that, I don't think. Christian suffering, and we're going to try to make a distinction, and it's not always perfectly clear, Christian suffering is necessary for you as a disciple for your maturity, for the purposes of you being fruitful. It's a, you may not pass go. You have to stop here. This is a necessity in your maturing. Lastly, Christian suffering is redemptive. It has power. When people, because of Jesus and their association with Him, go through difficult things, when they suffer physically in their body or in losses or emotionally, they're alienated, whatever it is, when you walk with Jesus in His suffering because of Him, you receive spiritual power and you become a part of Jesus and His power to redeem. This has always been true in the missionary movement. And some of you are going to be missionaries. Some of you already are missionaries. So I ask in a way that Kent couldn't refuse just a few minutes ago, but I thought of him last night as I was going through the talk because I was popping through Facebook and I did a talk in this room, I think, three or four years ago, and he sent me a question. Hey, I'm a family medicine residency in Fort Worth, Texas, and I'm writing this paper about something or another, and would you, would you send me some of your notes from the talk? He almost died. There are people in this room likely who will die as missionaries or whose spouse may die or whose child may die. People in this room who things, things that you hold very dear, you may lose, you may surrender. Some of those things are idols and they need to be surrendered. 
if and when you walk with Jesus in the difficulty of suffering, you have power to be part of his redemptive movement in the world. Okay? You get to talk to world-famous news anchors about Jesus and have millions of people watch it and go, what the? Okay. Um, We're using the Bible here. I hope you love the Bible. Okay? I mean, really love the Bible. The Bible is the, um, it's irreplaceable in understanding suffering and any other thing in the universe. Right? God speaks to us in different ways, but no way more clearly than the Bible. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit's in that book. You read that book. You get up every morning. It is literally the same as if you walked into a room and talked to Jesus. I was walking through the corridor of this building a few years ago in the stairwell, and two women walked up to me who I'd never met before, and they handed me a little piece of paper, and they said, this is a message, I think, from God to you. And then they disappeared. I don't think they were angels. I think they were real human beings. It was a little piece of paper. I keep it in my bedstand. It was a kind word. It was a vision that this woman had had for me, and it was a very encouraging word, and I love it. And it's like a little message from Jesus to me. My wife is ticked about it. She says, Jesus didn't write me a letter, right? (laughs) I pull it out now and then, I read it, and it encourages me. But the truth is, it's less authoritative than this, this morning when you woke up and opened that Bible up and read it. You can get a letter from God every day. You can understand and have a, a way to process the difficulties of anything that happens to you, especially suffering if you have a biblical understanding. If you're not reading the Bible now and you want to be a missionary, that's what you should do before you do anything else. If you can't read and understand and feed yourself with the scriptures and your family now, you need that more than anything else if you're going to go to a difficult place. You need it if you're going to do anything. Okay, so from the very beginning, from Genesis 3, again, we're talking about human life. Here is what happens after human rebellion. You know the story. People turn and disobey the Lord. There is a threefold curse. First the snake gets cursed then the woman, then the man. Um, The curse for all of them involves pain and difficulty. To the woman, I'll make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire, I don't even know what this means. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Man, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. The result of human and angelic rebellion against God for the present era until the hope that we long for comes is it's birthed in pain. Literally birthed in pain. The making of our families comes in pain. The work, whatever you try to do. You want to you wanna do work. You want to do redemptive work for God. You want crop to come up. This world gives us thorns and thistles. It's like there's a curse over the whole place. Alright, so there is common suffering. Every human being has, will suffer. Every human being gets old. Every human being will lose a parent or will have a disease or 
This is common to all people everywhere. All right? And then there's Christian suffering. And we don't want to make too strong a distinctive, but we do want to make a distinctive. Christian suffering, when we say that, when I say that, I mean you don't get Ebola unless you go because of your conviction and go face that danger because of your discipleship, because you're obeying Jesus. Okay? So you you can get diseases in the world, and everybody does, but if you do it because of your faithfulness to Jesus, because of his name and his glory and his gospel especially, that is a different category. All right, and sometimes they look common. And sometimes they are. This is... Um, it's been a bad year in Chicago at the Lawndale Christian Health Center. Two of their physicians, two of their most, their pillars were killed this year. Jerry Umanos on the left was gunned down by an Afghan security guard who was supposed to protect him at the Cure Hospital in Kabul with others, murdered. Nikhil Sioni an internist and a hospitalist, was driving from Naperville, Chicago, to the Lawndale Christian Health Center at 8 in the morning and was killed by a woman who wasn't supposed to be driving a car. And Getting killed for being a missionary, dying in a car crash, common in Christian suffering, and sometimes it's overlapping. This isn't a pro-America slide. Okay, I just want you to know that this means you. If you identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus, you know you will have common suffering, and if you really want to walk with him and be united with him, you will suffer. You need to be ready. You need to have all the categories straight. You've got to have a theology of suffering because if it's going to happen inevitably, you've got to have a way to process it. Okay. So we're going to do this in a couple of ways. We're going to look at people in the Bible. That's one great way to read your Bible, right? You read and you learn from these characters and sometimes the characters ring with you and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you wonder why they're in the Bible, right? Well, that's probably for somebody else. Somebody else needs to understand Samson, right? Or, or something like that. So we're going to talk about some characters, and then we're going to talk about the normative story of the Bible. And I'm going to... Um, we have these great new... Our singular contribution to this conference over the years is swag. Um, <laughs> so this is, this, is our, this is our new sweatshirt for Resurrection Health. Resurrection Health is the successor of Christ Community Health Services. That's a different story and different suffering, but... The guy back in the corner with the, yeah, exactly, with the, with the bad hair, no, with the, is Jason Stevens, and he designs all this stuff. So the reason I'm telling you that is we'll have some questions. It's a big room, but if you got the answer, I'm going to give you one of my business cards so you can go get free swag. You can get a sweatshirt for free or a T-shirt if you want. Okay, here's the first question. Look at that slide. Like, I get it. It's Adam and Eve, and there's Noah with a dove on his head, and, I think that's Abraham and Sarah with a bunch of stars around them. I guess that's Jacob. Joseph with the coat of many colors. On the far right, I see Moses with a staff and Joshua with a trumpet. Who's the guy in the crutches? Why has he got a thing on his head? 
we need a consensus answer. I'm not giving a sweatshirt for it might be this guy or does anybody know who that is? Who? Jonathan who? Jonathan's son Mephibosheth? Is that where he would be in the story? Nah. All right. We'll have to see about that one. All right. Here's the next question. Is there anybody in that picture, including the mystery guy with bandage on his head, who didn't suffer? Can you think of a single biblical character, somebody who gets even more than a sentence, that didn't suffer? All right, let's hit the high points. Abe. Give me a couple ways Abraham suffered. What's that? Loneliness. All right, what do you mean loneliness? He had to leave his family in his home and get a new area. Okay, that's one. All right, left the protection of his family, go to a place where he never, he didn't know where he was going before, on faith. Okay, what was another way he suffered? She's about to win a sweatshirt here. Me? Yeah. You like that? You okay with that? You can hand that to her. All right, that's good. All right. All right. Yes? Well, he, had to, he had to give himself Ishmael and hang her into wilderness. And he so he had to run off his firstborn son, <clears throat> had to be separated from him. and, and Yeah, so that's the ultimate one there, right? This is the source of inspiration for a lot of artists over the years. This son that he waited 25 years for, the son who was the promise... Okay, so think about it, missionary or missionary to be. Leaving your family, leaving the protection of your family in the Near East at that time. I mean, that's legitimate. You're going to travel through places you don't know. You have no idea what the dangers are. You're leaving your culture, your protection, your everything, every comfort that you had under the command of God to do something that you're not even entirely sure about. And it's, it's open-ended. You don't, you don't even know. You don't get the full business plan, right? God didn't give Abraham the five-year plan. He said, you go. So there is alienation and there's loneliness. Anybody who's a real, who's been through the transition of missionary service or doing something like that understands that. The buzz of everybody loving you and praying for you, that fades really fast when you're out there by yourself. All right, here's Joe. How did Joseph suffer? People have literally written books about the hundred ways Joseph and Jesus can be compared to each other. Yes? So he was abandoned by his brothers and sold into slavery. And then uh, when he got to Egypt, he ended up being thrown in prison for something he didn't do. So he suffered completely righteously and spent years in prison. And then he talked to the two people, the baker and the um, wine glass holder, and basically interpreted their dreams and then they forgot about him and he just stayed in jail for a really long time. Okay, so Jess gets a sweatshirt. We've never met before. All right, so think about this. Everything she just said. 
Um, and again, think, let it, let it ring in your head from the story of Jesus and let it ring in your head because these are ultimately stories about you if you're going to take up the cross of Jesus. He was rejected by the people who should have recognized who he was and should have celebrated him. His very family did not understand who he was or what he was doing. That is exceedingly common in missionaries, right? As over the last dozen years, if we had people move into the inner city in Memphis, it's exceedingly common for a parent to be wigged out about that. Okay? Sometimes they come around and they become the biggest supporters, but not always. Okay? He came to those who were his own, and his own did not receive him. Okay? Joseph was doing this amazing thing that was going to rescue and save millions of people. And, and he got thrown in jail, and he got lied about, he got forgotten. His role was incredibly important and incredibly huge and part of God's amazing story, and he got absolutely no respect for it. People who should have applauded him threw him in the bottom of a well, left him in jail, eventually forgot about him. All right, Big Mo. How did Mo suffer? So he doesn't get to see the reward. That's bad. Work with sheep. Work with sheep. I'm, I've always lived in the city, but it doesn't sound good to work with sheep. I, <laughs> I have been a house church pastor. Well, he was, as a child, he was sent away from his family. He had to kill somebody. <laughs> get out there and do it, son. <laughs> yeah, okay. He had to be on the run for that, right? So he was a refugee. He's on the backside of nowhere. He had the number one fear of most Americans, the fear of public speaking, right? Don't send me. Okay. Again, his own family. There's a scene in the, in the book of Exodus where, where Aaron and Miriam try to usurp his power. They say, you know, we're just as important in this game as you are. That happened at least one other time with other Israelites. You're not the only person God speaks to around here, Mr. Biggie Pants leader guy. He had to leave his reputation, as all these figures did, to God. He suffered. Yes? Yeah. <clears throat> Exodus 15 is the song of Miriam and Moses. The horse and his rider, they lay dead in the sea. They're celebrating and banging tambourines and dancing and running around. And Exodus 16 is, I hate you, Moses. We're going to die. Grumblers. Doubters. Rejecting this guy who really was the leader that God had appointed. Some of you are going to take leadership roles in missionary work. And you get ready. Sheep can be bad. <laughs> that was bad. That was really bad. Okay. <laughs> All right. King David. King David. How'd he suffer? 
chased down by Saul, and then uh, his son later tried to serve the throne. Again, it, from within rebellion, from without rebellion, <coughs> he's a righteous dude. He fights. The, yes. His first son from Bathsheba, yes, lost a son, lost uh, three sons, right? One murdered by a different, by one son murdered by another son. Years between the time that he's anointed and he knows he's going to be king until he's finally really the king under a united kingdom. And, is that you or me? I'm sorry. Because he was a man of blood, he wasn't able to fulfill that. He had years of being on the run, right? Years of not being sure he was going to survive. Do you read the book of Psalms? Oh my gosh, you should read the book of Psalms every day, right? If you're going to be a missionary, you need to live in the book of Psalms. Swim in the book of Psalms. The ones that say of David, the Davidic ones, it's about half of them, 75 or so. Jesus is lurking around in there every time. It's about David, it's about Jesus, and when you get fluent in it, it's about you. Alright, so in a sense I'm trying to make a picture for you of the sorts of things that you might face, but I also hope you see, because I've said it out loud, these are also all pictures of Jesus, because the story is the same. Right? Jesus should have been recognized by his brothers and by the people he came to see. Jesus had people lie about him, slander him, doubt who he was, ignore him, physically torture and kill him. He left his father's house and went as a wanderer, right? He was going ahead to rescue his brothers and they didn't even know it. And they did harm to him. He is a great and coming king who is waiting for the full reign that's coming. And we need to always have that hope, right? You hear a guy carping on about suffering and how you need to suffer. Remember, there's great hope. We're going to talk a little bit about that. All right. So, always got to be careful when you're being recorded, but this is this week, Tuesday, in a country that is closed to the gospel where there are very, very few Christian people, even though there have been missionary efforts for more than 10 years, a woman in her 30s, after delivering a baby four months ago, abruptly died. Probably, would be my guess, from postpartum cardiomyopathy. Mother of four, between six years of age and four months of age. I'm not going to read it out loud because we're being recorded. I, I X'd out the name of one of the missionaries. If you're a missionary in the room, raise your hand if you know someone who has died on the field. Okay. Again, common suffering, Christian suffering. Sometimes it's a car crash. Sometimes it's a disease. Sometimes it's a guy who wants to put a bullet in you because of Jesus explicitly. But you're asking for it. You are, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, if you really are going to take up your cross and follow him, the things that happen to Jesus are going to happen to you. And the weird thing I'm trying to say to you, believe it or not, is that's 
So, this is the biggest story in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, right? So, this is, a, this is somebody's attempt to, to picture the Exodus. All right? And so, you know the story of the Exodus. We've been talking about these biblical figures. Joseph goes and saves the nation and brings all 72 of the Israelites to Egypt. And for a time, they prosper under his protection. But there arises a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And they become, over hundreds of years, oppressed. And they are eventually rescued miraculously by Moses. Of course, it's really because of God, right? And they have this amazing story where instead of being enslaved and under the power of military and oppressive power and slavery of Egypt, they're let out and they're, they go literally through the water. Where do they go next? Oh, sorry, let me quickly. This is the end of that story, meaning they go through the Red Sea on the way out, and then after 40 years they cross the Jordan River and they go through different water into the Promised Land. Yes? Okay, so that's the meta-narrative. What happens in between? Wandering, wilderness, desert. Are these fun things? God sustained them. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. All right. An entire generation died. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you and I live on that blue arrow. Do you know what I mean by that? So, Rick Donlin, at age 17, is wandering around New Orleans, Louisiana, lost as a goose, smoking weed and cutting class and Pouncing on bad, 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 bad guy. Not interested in God. Not seeking God. Not interested in truth. Interested in having fun in New Orleans. I'm 17. And out of nowhere, like a, like a light switch going, Foop, God starts calling me. <clears throat> I mean, it started with these morons I played high school football with who would tell me the gospel. But I went from having zero interest in that, in fact, being just repulsed by that, to suddenly loving it. God reached down and rescued me and changed me and transformed me. Still, 30 years later, freaks out my parents, I think. All right? What happened to that guy? I thought you were Catholic. All right? And, <laughs> Everybody, and I love, like, I've come along where I have a lot of respect for Catholicism, maybe more than you might think. But everybody in New Orleans is Catholic. Even the Southern Baptists in New Orleans secretly, they go to Mass on the, on the weekend. <laughs> okay? It's a very Catholic town. All right? So I'm one of those guys who had the amazing, dramatic thing. I was enslaved to my flesh and passions and to the world. I was an object of wrath. All the stuff in Ephesians 2 was true about me. And God rescued me. Jesus rescued me. And I got baptized. I went walking through the Red Sea of baptism. Okay, the New Testament categorically compares these events. Israel going through the Red Sea with the cloud above them and the water on the side of them is Christian baptism. All right, and I believe with all my heart that there will come a day when there's no tear, no suffering, nothing when Jesus reigns forever, when all death and wrong and evil is removed, including that in the deepest part of my own heart, it's going to be gone. That's the promised land. I'm not there. You're not there. 
I don't care what some pastor in Houston, Texas or anybody else says. This is not heaven on earth yet. We live in that era. We live between the first and second comings of Jesus. We live between being rescued from slavery and death and the coming kingdom of Jesus. And this world has messed up. And we're part of what Jesus is doing in redeeming it. We live in the arrow. Prosperity theology says that the happiness has already come, that God wants to give you the kingdom of God now. Is there a bit of truth in that? Yes, as there is in every satanic lie. The profound truth is the place is still cursed. It's run by the devil, the ruler of the king of the air. Did you hear last night? There are millions of people who are enslaved. There are diseases that kill people mercilessly. There's political oppression. There's lies, corruption, idolatry. This place is messed up. We live in the desert. We live in the desert. Can three million people live in that? Will it be sustainable? No. You've got to have bread every day, right? You've got to have water every day. That's the most beautiful story. Okay, but don't think you're not in the desert because this is what my own sinful heart wants to do. I decide I'm going to get comfortable in the desert. I'm going to figure out something that can give me satisfaction and make me think that I'm not in the desert. And when I do that, if I put too much in my marriage or my children or my work or anything else, I'm trying to set up camp in the desert. Bad move. Is there joy in this life? Yes. Yes. There are, there's enough of it to, to tell us that that desire in our heart for real happiness is real. It's God. It's put in there by God. But this is not the place of ultimate joy and fulfillment. The romantic comedies are lying to you. Happily ever after only happens when the king comes back. If we try to get comfortable in the desert, we'll die in the desert. We'll grumble. Right? It was for their testing. It was to try them. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. The reason I know that I have to live this experience, and you do, is, is again, because of Jesus. Right? This is kind of a dark picture, but this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus' baptism. And you remember the story. When John the Baptist, who has at least some understanding of who Jesus is, sees Jesus come to him and says, I'm not supposed to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. What did Jesus say to him? It is right to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I, I, didn't, think I, I didn't understand that for the longest time. But here's the way I understand it now. Israel... Rick Donlin, you, rescued from slavery, out of the hand of Pharaoh slash Satan, through the waters of baptism, 
going to the promised land, living in the desert. Did Israel do well in the desert? Were they righteous? No. They grumbled. They complained. They put the Lord their God to the test. They, built, they made idols. They, they did everything wrong. And I am Israel. You are Israel. Only one person comes through the waters of baptism and lives in the wilderness long enough to fulfill all righteousness. And that's Jesus. They grumbled about bread. Did they not? Remember this guy? Because as soon as Jesus is baptized in the Gospels, he goes to the desert. He goes to the wilderness. And the tests were, do something about bread. Jesus passed the test that Israel failed. Put the Lord your God to the test, because that's what Israel did over and over again. Jesus passed that test. Hey, those guys built an idol. They built a calf. Are you going to worship anything except the Lord your God? The only person who is righteous, who fulfills our righteousness, and does it in our place is Jesus. Jesus did what Israel couldn't do. Jesus does what you can't do. But even Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tested. He's being tried. They were there 40 years. He was there 40 days. Why is this so important? Because you're a little Jesus, right? The enemy was not entirely lying when he said, I control the world that you can see. I control all the glory of humanity and all the glory of politics and all the glory of entertainment and all the glory of athletics and all the glory of medicine, law. The place is cursed. The place is run by someone that is called the prince of the power of the air. Jesus said, I saw him fall, his kingdom fall. The Apostle John says the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the work of the evil one. And the hardest thing of all to swallow is, he says, come on. Come on. Enter into my suffering. Enter even into my death so that you can enter into my resurrection and enter into my glory. There is no shortcut. The shortcut is what Satan offered Jesus. Turn the rock into bread. Bow down to me and you don't have to suffer on the cross. I'll give you all the power and authority that you're going to receive. The only way you're going to receive it otherwise is to die. He explained this over and over again to his disciples. They didn't get it over and over again, right? This is Matthew 16 passage. We've talked about this at this conference before. If you're going to be my disciple, you've got to understand who I am. I'm here to suffer and die, to be rejected, to have all the things happen to me that we talked about with Abraham and Joseph and David and Moses. That's, my, that's the end of the story on earth. That's at least this chapter. And by the way, same chapter, same book of the Bible. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, if you want to avoid suffering, you're going to lose it. But if you will embrace the suffering that comes to you, I didn't say run after it. 
You gain your life. Right, so, think of the stories in the, in the narrative of the Gospels of what happened to Jesus. How they refused to accept who he was. How they lied about him. I mean, every possible indignity that could happen to a person happened to Jesus. And the irony is so great because of how great he is. Somebody stole money from Jesus. Judas stole money from Jesus. Religious leaders who should have recognized him for who he was slandered him and lied about him and did everything. They set traps for him. They discredited him. They should have celebrated him and instead they tried to destroy him. And if you go into a place where the kingdom of darkness reigns to bring the light of this king and his glory and his kingdom, you will face those same things. You will be misunderstood. You will be slandered. You will be hated. You may face physical torture and even death. This is the story of uh, Emmaus and just the fact like when he's resurrected and he's beginning to finally explain everything to his disciples, he again just makes the point. All of the Bible, the Torah, the law and the prophets and the writings, they all said the Son of Man, the Messiah, had to suffer. Had to happen. And again, I know I'm repeating myself, but if the Messiah has to suffer, the little Messiahs, that's dangerous. We're not little Messiahs, right? The followers of the Messiah, the imitators of the Messiah, have to suffer also. He says this in many ways because we're hard of heart and hard to hear. The same thing they did to me, they'll do to you. Some people listen to me and some people will listen to you. But many people didn't and won't and did harm to me and they'll do harm to you. No student is above his teacher. No servant is above his master. It's enough to be like the master. How about that for our little fact? Alright, this is, again, we're just doing this blitzkrieg run through the Bible, and we're almost through, we're in the book of Acts. This is just a parenthetical statement, Paul and Barnabas are going back through after one of their missionary journeys, they're trying to strengthen the churches, the second half of it, um, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Here's the quote from the Apostle Paul, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Turn on your TV Sunday and there'll be somebody telling you that that's a lie. Telling you that God wants to pour out his blessings on you right now. You just have the positivity in your mind and heart to to let God pour out his blessings on you right now. Give you heaven right now. That is what comes out of the south side of a north-facing bull. (laughs) And it breaks on the rocks of real life, doesn't it? 
Does the prosperity gospel have an answer for West Africans who are dealing with Ebola? Does the prosperity gospel have an answer for a husband who has now got four children 68 years and younger without a wife? For our friends at Lawndale who've lost two of their pillars? For the people in this room, there's a hundred people here. Some of you have suffered in the past year. Some of you are suffering now. All of us will suffer in the future. Sorry, the um, wedding scene in The Princess Bride where Buttercup is about to get married against her will. Skip to the end. That's what we got to do because it's 20 till. So we're, we're not going to pound you, although that's my usual style, um, with Pauline passages about suffering. But let me just say this blanket statement. You can't find a Pauline epistle that doesn't say in one shape or another that to participate in the life of Jesus, you must participate in the sufferings of Jesus. And that, in fact, is a blessing. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. It has been granted to you. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We'll skip to the end. This is his list of how many times he got his rear end handed to him. All of the different 2 Corinthians 11, all the different ways he suffered for what he was doing, including stonings and shipwrecks. He had Christian and normal suffering in this list. Sometimes he's in danger from animals and rivers. Sometimes he's in danger from people who want to kill him, Jews who want to kill him for preaching the gospel. The life of a missionary is a life of, that must be ready for suffering. making the same point. from the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's you and me, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. We'll skip James, First Peter... Yeah, it's good. I'm speechless. <laughs> Your mama's calling back? <laughs> okay, good. All right, let me just read this one from uh, the Apostle Peter. Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. All right, so we, you don't want to miss that last part, right? Because it's one of the Christian virtues. Hope is 
everything. It's not everything. How is it that you can endure these things? Because you know that there's a time coming when Jesus is going to make it all right. And you know that there will be a final accounting. And that, that in the end, the people who, through faith and persistence, by the grace of God, have pursued Jesus and have embraced the life that he has for them, they will be richly, richly rewarded forever. Paul says that, you know, our light and momentary troubles, and they don't ever seem light at the time, do they? They don't ever seem momentary. This is our great limitation as human beings. We're so tied to time and to our senses. Like Faith has the ability to lift up out of where you are in your suffering and look backwards and see how God has been faithful to you and to look forward and know that he's going to redeem and make everything right in the future. And it's so hard to do that because you're suffering. You're, you're fearful. You're alienated. You've been lied about. You're, you're physically ill. You've had a loss. Whatever it is. We're in the moment of it. Here's the end of the story. This is the point that we're trying to make about the the redemptive power of suffering. This is Revelation 9. Jesus is in the story is the only one who's able to break the seals. This is a reference to a scroll in the book of Daniel that no one could open until Jesus himself is revealed for who he is. And he opens the seals of this scroll. And the picture is he's he's making the things happen that need to happen for the end of time to come. And he's on the fifth of seven seals at this place. Under the Apostle John, who's watching all this, says, under the throne... Under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain, he saw this, because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And all these martyrs, verse 10, called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. You don't need me to tell you that there are martyrs now, that there are more martyrs now than they have been in previous centuries, that we live in Disneyland. This is the phony, fake place, America. We actually still stand up and demand that our Christian country get back to Jesus and all that, you know, that nonsense. Read, read about the Founding Fathers. Read about Thomas Jefferson. and like These guys weren't building the kingdom of Jesus. In many parts of the world right now, people fear being jailed, tortured, separated from their families, killed. Finish the quote. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Christian church has always thrived most when it was under the boot of power, not when it was trying to be powerful. Okay. 
The Christian church has always thrived most when it's gone after the people who suffer the most at the edges of society, the people who are poor and marginalized, instead of trying to appeal to the wealthy and the rich. Do I mean that we shouldn't appeal to the wealthy and the rich? I don't mean that. If you read missionary biographies, if you want to be a missionary, you ought to read missionary biographies. To the Golden Shore, about Adoniram Judson, it's about 1,600 pages, but it's it's really about 500 pages, and it's a slow start, but it's amazing. And it, like every other missionary biography that I can think of that I've read, is a catalog of how people had to suffer to get the message of the gospel to, to places. The losses that people endured for that purpose. But it's redemptive. It, it, it does what Jesus does. When an innocent victim, Aslan says, when an innocent victim lays down his life for a guilty party, the deep magic goes in reverse. Ten minutes remaining. Okay, thank you. If and when you suffer, it's not meaningless. If and when you suffer for your faith and for your convictions, because of the word of God and the testimony that you maintained, you are participating in the redemptive work of Jesus in the world. No Christian martyr's blood was shed in vain. I don't pretend to understand the spiritual dynamics of the world, the hidden kingdoms and powers that are at work. I know they're there, but I know that we advance when we we win by losing. When we empty ourselves and have faith, and are willing to embrace suffering, we disarm the enemy. Because the enemy works by enslaving and by lying and exploiting. Last night was a categorical explanation of what the enemy does to human beings. Destroys them. This is the final, final, final end of the story. God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I don't, I don't know how to say it in a summary that's, that makes sense, but this is a, this is a no-brainer. Okay? That's going to happen as sure as the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Okay? All history will come to a... Jesus Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom, the creed says, will have no end. That is certain. And so, us entering into his person and himself and being part of his redemptive work as he's bringing about this certainty is the only wise thing to do with our lives.
And it will be. There will come a time that no matter what we go through, it will be to us light and momentary. It will achieve for us a glory that far outweighs everything. And then the people who will be kicking themselves were the ones who were cowards, who backed away from the difficulty, who let fear win instead of faith. The people who decided to try to get comfortable in the desert and just kind of wait it out. What got those people through the desert was bread that came down every day from God. Okay, It's a whole other beautiful talk for another day. But there is true bread that came down from heaven that a man or a woman may eat and not die. There is something for you every day in this desert that we live in, and it's Jesus himself. Jesus is the rock that was their water source. Jesus is the true bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is what can sustain us day by day by day as we're moving towards the promised land. Anything else that we try to get to sustain us, even good things from God, are they're bad. They're, they bring death instead of life. I am convinced, the Apostle says, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Father, thank you again for for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that we can believe the promises that when we gather in the name of Jesus, you're with us. Help us to um, enter into the reality, the mystery of you redeeming the universe through suffering, of you taking our rebellion and turning it to our reconciliation, that you, Jesus, by your own willingness to uh, abandon comfort and to embrace difficulty and alienation and slander and betrayal and suffering and death, that you have broken the power of the enemy, that you have um, made, you are beginning to make all things right, and that you will come again in glory. Let us walk with you, let us embrace you and your, even your suffering, knowing that as we enter into your death, that we enter into your life. As we enter into your suffering, we enter into your glory. Give us courage to believe that and to live like that. We ask in your great name. Amen.